that is the location that native peoples of that area um, say you don't go in after dark. That is the area where darkness reigns, where there's devils that come out at night. Well, what the um, heck does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Those are the legends around the Castle Crags. What are the Lemurians? What is it that people are calling the Lemurians? Um, you're likely not going to find that cave at this point. Where is this cave? Because he only said the Cascades. You can assume Mount Shasta, but that's a huge area. Cascades are huge, man. Shasta area is huge. There's already so much with just the Lemurian lore in this area. And now we've got an entirely separate, massive civilization. If I was to go to this area, John, and I was to stay there past dark, what might happen? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Metaphysical Podcast. The Mount Shasta area in the Cascades is associated with the lost civilization of Lemuria. And in the last several episodes, we've been looking into the strange, impossible, and unusual phenomena in the area, like creature sightings, missing people, UFOs, and gold hunters. But this episode today starts getting into the most amazing and surprising aspects of the Mount Shasta mystery with the story of J.C. Brown and the Lost City. The story goes that he discovered this lost land of Lemuria, or the city of Telos and tunnels underneath the area's mountains. And what he found down there was mind-blowing. But when people started joining him in preparation to go down there with him, something really suspicious happened that's left everyone polarized since 1904. So we'll let you judge for yourself what you think happened after you listen to John Vivanco's remote viewing data, and after you hear what I found in an old 1934 article about what happened that John hasn't heard yet, but is going to totally shock everyone. And when you hear the other investigative research that we've turned up. So join John and me, Rob Counts, for a show that's out of this world. Who is J.C. Brown, and what is this story of, uh, of a lost city here that we got? Yeah, J.C. Brown was, I think it was like early 1900s, like around 1903, 1904. He's, he's tasked by the Lord Cowdray Mining Company to go find gold in the Cascades, somewhere in the Cascade range. He never actually identifies Mount Shasta. Um, he just said the Cascades, J.C. Brown. And so he sets out on his journey and he's he's a geologist, right? So he knows what he's looking for. He goes to granite outcroppings and stuff, right? So yeah. he's digging around. He finds this area on the side of a, of a massive granite outcropping and it, to him, it looks like, because he's a geologist, that, that this is kind of an unnatural rock fall. Um, because so it doesn't, it doesn't match the surrounding rocks. It doesn't really match the surrounding rocks very much. And there aren't any other rock falls around. So he starts digging into it. And when he digs into it, he finds there's a cave behind it. So he starts traveling down this cave. Um, I think it was 11 or 14 miles. So he's going down this cave. I mean, I can't even think of the volcanic gases that could be in there, but you know, he's going down this cave and he's claiming that he's seeing areas of the cave walls that have been worked from a mining standpoint. So, so somebody had been in there before and they were manipulating the cave walls, looking for stuff. 
he gets deeper into it and he says the the cave walls start to they have these indentations in them that are kind of like honeycomb patterns the cave walls and sort of a shiny material on the cave walls that when he has his torch it lights up everything and and so he's traveling down the cave eventually he finds so he's got an Indiana Jones style torch as he's walking down this cave. Yeah, right, right. Crazy. And the, the cave walls are like that. Hunt, they're, they're honeycombed almost. It's like they've been carved that way at a certain point. That's really bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's not, a, that's not an all a natural. No, he very... determined it to be not natural. No. Yeah, he determined it to be not natural. Well, well, and 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 if it was unnatural, very difficult to recreate. I mean, very difficult right. to do. Right, right. So he's going down, and eventually he comes across a room. And in this room, it's like it's carved out of the main, like, like cave going, you know, continuing on for eleven miles. It's carved out, and in that room, he finds relics. He finds these copper plates or gold plates that have um inscriptions on them like rune type writing like, like like tablets or something and he and he called this room the village right that was part of it that was part of the village so there were carved out rooms he found well, weapons like spears with uh what appeared to be copper um arrow points arrowheads on them that would if you bent them they would bend back to normal, like the memory metal. Um, so it was some kind of advanced metallurgy that he hadn't come across, finding that in these caves along with That's statues and other relics. similar to the account um, that we found in, in the Chinese um, uh, catacombs or whatever <laughs> of uh, Emperor Qin Shi Huang, right? Right, right. Yeah. It's also similar a little bit to, uh, yeah, right, because they had the memory metal, I think, in there. Yeah, it was like was one of the terracotta warriors had fallen on a on a sword, and when they brought the terracotta warrior up, right. it was bent, and then it sprung, it went back. Not, I don't want to, I don't want to confuse this with spring technology or spring metal. Right. This is copper which bends, and then it it went back into its original form. Right, right, and then he in that one room that he first went in i think he found around eight or nine mummies that were in the range of seven to eight feet tall right they were giants lined up right so they they had lived and died in that place or maybe they were brought there then he went on into another room and he saw that and you know how big were these rooms they were they were about what 34 feet um, two rooms specifically, like 34 feet in general at, at length. Yeah. Two rooms so about 11. He time in there measuring, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 11 by 34, he claimed. Right, exactly, right. So the big room that he went into was the room that he thought were for the king and queen of this race hmm. because there were two giant mummies taller than the others that were dressed in royal garb. They were all dressed up. Um, and so he surmised that they were like the king and queen of this race. Sure. Right. And I think in that room, he also had found um, some artwork on the walls, like a, a large sun or something like that, right, in these rooms. 
Um, the, the reason that we know of this story is really because he showed up in Stockton, California in 1934. So, you know, he initially found this place. His claim was 1904, shows up in Stockton around 1934. In that time frame, you know, what was he doing? What was J.C. Brown up to? Um, in 1934, he was 30, in his 30 years, right? 30 years. Yeah. So he's in his seventies in 1934 and he's showing up there trying to wrangle together a search party to, to really take all these people to that location, um, convincing them that they're going to be wealthy beyond belief and to basically show the world what he found. Uh, that was his goal. And so in Stockton, California at that time, he showed up in town and he started to uh, have these meetings twice a week at somebody's house that he knew where I, up to 80 people would show up. When they were about to leave, I think they had a day or two before they were to go on the expedition. He said that he was going to bring a boat in and they were going to travel on by boat up. Uh, who knows what he was talking about. But he never actually revealed where. He never actually revealed where this location was. He only said the Cascades. He never said Shasta, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say anything to anyone about it. Um, so the day, day or two before they're to leave, he goes, he leaves. He says, I'm going to go grab something that I brought back from the, from the cave, from the tunnel to show you, right? Proof. So he had something stashed away somewhere. He was going to go get it. So he disappears and he's never seen from again, never seen or heard from again. So after that, the police got involved and, you know, they're trying to find out is this guy a grifter? What? What's going on? Well, no, I mean, he claimed that he had millions and millions of dollars. He's very wealthy. He um, never took money from anyone. So there was actually no crime committed. Um and that was the last that we ever heard of J.C. Brown. He had literally just fallen off the face of the earth a day or two before they were supposed to go with 80 people on this expedition. Now, you know, when you get to when you get to where this location is, nobody really knew. I mean, people kind of assumed it was the Mount Shasta area based off of what he was saying, because he did make reference to, I think, Lemurian's um at that time right and so everybody pretty much assumed it's got to be mount shasta uh he also there is also some scant evidence that he was in the shasta area um doing certain things uh meeting with people um so i think in that time frame between when he found this location and when he tried to gather all these people together he was trying to figure out what he found and he was trying to work with other people to to get it out right because i think that he had more of an idea around um enriching himself and and it's kind of like getting a patent right where like enriching himself and <clears throat> and showing the world what i found because hey they're all going to believe me and it's not going to be suppressed at a certain point near the end of his life i think that he just like tried to do anything to get the site revealed ultimately um, but he didn't make it. Yeah, yeah no, like, no. It's, it's like, it's a, it's an incredibly fascinating story. I'm leaving a lot out. Like there's, there's a lot of detail in his story on what he found that is quite, quite fascinating, but we're very limited 
by the scope of that article that came out of the Stockton record in 1934, right? Very limited <clears throat> on, on what we know because that's all he gave us. A few quotes from this article here that Lindsay's got pulled up. Um, we should we should probably just poke through it a bit. Yeah, poke through it a bit. So, um, and yeah, it's it's quite blurry. We actually, John and I found another link that had clearer text, but we were able to um, uh, actually type out this bullet points from this story. So, what we're we're, we're telling back to you right now is basically the actual story from this article here. Okay, so there were two rooms that, that he found. So two rooms about 11 by 34 feet were filled with copper and gold tablets, about three by four inches. And um, unclear what that said. So some laid inside the other. The rooms were literally full of these plates. Another room contained many weapons. The tempered copper spears were so, I think, sharp that the head of the weapon to the base of the shaft and it would spring back into place. Oh, I guess they were so... Mm, yeah, they were such that one could bend the head of the weapon to the base of the shaft and it would spring back into place, basically. So streets were laid out in the village and one long room were laid at angles in the wall, 27 skeletons, the smallest of which were six feet, six inches, and the tallest more than 10 feet. Six feet, six is still 27 huge. skeletons, way, way off from yeah. my, what, six or seven. Yeah. So in another room lay apparently embalmed by some secret process, the bodies of a man and woman dressed in royal robes, whom I believe were the king and queen of this race. The worship room was beautiful to behold. There... On the walls were three great crosses, not of the conventional modern type, and a sun design worked in copper and gold. The streamers from the sun were worked in gold. There were, I believe, 13 made of copper and gold. Yeah. Um, all right, now it says, I believe this race of people forms an important link in ancient American civilization. They were highly skilled craftsmen as their work shows because there was a glow to three of the statues. I believe they used radium and I believe it was the use of radio radium that they tempered the copper. It was with yeah. the use of radium. So the copper right. itself, I mean, these sound like elvish swords, like Lord of the Rings style elvish swords. If they're yeah. glowing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay, so this is also really interesting. You know, as you said, he wanted to elicit the help of trained people whom he would pay well for their services to assist him in cataloging these specimens. He wanted the relics in the cave to remain intact, but the ones in the two other caves he located were to go to those who aid him so that they could become rich, as you stated, right? Yeah. Now, this is really interesting. In a vault in a Texas bank, he claimed to have pictures of this scene and papers. He says, you see my family planned ex exploit to exploit the cave themselves. My wife's father, my wife, my however many daughters and an old college, a series of tragedies struck. 
first one died, then another one was killed in an accident and the others died. So his family yeah. is, is getting picked off by whatever this is a curse. Who knows? Right. Could have been people could have been anything. I was hurt in an accident. I lost all heart in this accident, but I'm getting back on my feet again. And if my health holds out, I will get started. The article ends is very interesting. He says, it says, have you ever studied or read anything about the lost content of Lemuria? Right. Scientists claim it is the connecting link in the story of civilization. I believe here is the key to that lost continent. So now this other details that are really fascinating that you kind of went over, which is JC Brown claimed to be worth $48 million and had right. five boats. And you can imagine how much that was back then. Right. Right. One of these boats was claimed to be glass bottomed craft and it would right. have to take uh, the party to search for the lost continent. And this would be the one to take the party to look for the, the lost continent off the coast of Washington. Right. So I guess he, he had wanted to look for the continent as well. Right. Um, now, one of the most confusing things that the investigators found is after J.C. Brown's disappearance, they were trying to make him out to be a grifter, as you said, someone that was just trying to get people to do something and blah, blah, blah. But along the way, J.C. Brown never took one penny from anyone and right. seemed to be completely legitimate the entire time in terms of his story, keeping his story intact, um, you know, not straying from that story. And then honest, like seemingly honestly trying to get guys down there to go find yeah. the the rooms that he had discovered as he was going through these tunnels. Right, right. Exactly. So, so you have them writing him off as a basically as a hoax. This whole thing is a hoax because he disappeared right before he was to bring them in. Oh, how convenient. Right before you were going to bring all of them in, you disappear. Must have been a crazy guy. And, you know, but then there's all of this other information that doesn't actually line up with any of that. And right. where are these pictures in Texas? Right. Yeah. And evolved. Yeah. I want to see those. Those are gone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, gone. I'm sure those are gone. It was, um, you know, he was, he was like researching, obviously, because, you know, when you get into his statement on Lemuria, um, he's researching when he found that site. And so he's coming off of Church Ward and Blavatsky and um, what the Dweller on Two, Dweller on Two Planets, I think that other book to come to his conclusion that this must be connected to the lost continent of Lemuria. Which, which it may or may not have been. Which it may or may not have been. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. So it looks like we, and it looks like we've tracked down these. Uh, so what happened to these photos? So Brown had claimed he had photos and other proof of his discovery in a Texas bank. Right. Now, this proof was demanded of him by another man named Pratt or something. It's unclear. And it was given to him because he'd threatened to withdraw from any future dealings if he didn't see the evidence. So now after Brown didn't show up, the followers thought he had manufactured the story based on novels, but some still believed he would return. Yeah, right. So you have this fanciful story. I mean, incredible, incredible yeah. story. You know, and the assumption is Mount Shasta, but, you know, you can't be sure. Ultimately, mm -hmm. where else could it be? Um, so we were like, 
we've got to remote view this because this is like one of the greatest mysteries that is not very well known. I mean, it's spreading around now pretty wide, but you know, JC Brown, when we remote viewed him, it was a lot like the GE Kincaid story of like the grand Canyon find where he's uh, he found the caves full of like Egyptian artifacts, Buddhas and whatnot. So it was, it was very similar to that, where in our data, we have J.C. Brown, like um, just digging around in rocks, looking around. He finds this hole. He squeezes in through this hole and he finds this this like downward sloped um, cave that he's in that goes on. And it's very dark. And so he's like, you know, our data is describing him as being extremely uh, excited about this find because, you know, if you find a cave and it's been covered up by rocks, chances are you're going to find granite, gold veins, et cetera, et cetera. And that was his job. That's what he was set out to do. So um, we looked at, you know, like what he was doing at the moment he claimed that he found it, right? Because we've tasked that angle before on people who have uh, made up, just made up a story, right? Like, like they have a story that they're telling UFO event or whatever. And we look at what they were doing at the moment they claimed to have had this happen to them. And they're like, you know, drinking a beer in a bar or something like being creative, <laughs> right? They're just right. making something up. And we know that they're just lying about it. Right. We have JC Brown literally like, like, like finding his way into a tunnel, right? We have in the data, we have showing up the copper plates. They showed up repeatedly. And I think that's because there were so many of these things. Um, the, the it, it was like a record of them, those people that were in there. It was 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 on these plates. We also have the weapons show up, and interestingly, we get we get the mummies, we get mummified corpses. So we see that 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 he found this stuff, truly truly found it based on a, all the tasking angles that we did. We also see. Like when we look when we look at it currently, we see it even more covered up than it was in the past. Like you're likely not going to find this thing. Um, you're likely not going to find that cave at this point. But the the other the other issue is like where is it, right? Like where is this cave? Because he only said the Cascades. You can assume Mount Shasta, but that's a huge area. Cascades are huge, man. Shasta area is huge. Exactly. They're huge. They're huge. So there are two things that we do when we're looking for something with remote viewing. We use um, like a homing in method where, where we'll look at the most prominent and easily identifiable landmark, whether that's natural or not natural, like human made or like landscape closest to that location. All right. So we will look at that. And I will tell you that that will always be easily figured out because it's a very prominent landmark. Remote viewing will describe it to a T and then you'll know the region that it exists in. So when we viewed that, what we got was this location called the Castle Crags. The viewers were describing this area that has these steep granite spires and one of the like hallmarks of that place is our climbers up the steep granite spires. But the real big one is tightrope walking sometimes from spire to spire. 
And the viewers were getting that stuff. Not only that, there were visuals of a big, huge volcanic snow-capped mountain from this location. Oh, so, Shasta. Yeah, right. So I surmised that area to be the Castle Crags, okay? That was our landmark, right? Then the next thing we look at is the location itself. Like, where is the location? This is a rare thing where the landmark and the location of something is one and the same. The location described was exactly the same as the landmark. So we know that what he found exists within the castle crags. And that is the abode of the devil. That is the location that native peoples of that area um, say you don't go in after dark. That is the area where darkness reigns, where there's devils that come out at night. Well, what the um, heck does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Those are the legends around the castle crags. It's it, the so, Spanish when they were there, they called it the abode of the devil. So, so it's a it's it's a it's a dark place. It's like the 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 dark stepbrother of the light Mount Shasta, right? And it just is in with eye shot of that location. So here you are, J.C. Brown is like in this location, who knows what sort of weird paranormal stuff he's dealing with. And he's found, he's finding this cave full of giants, right? So, so, so when we had that data, like, okay, I know this is the Castle Crags, start doing research on it. You come to find that there are these petroglyphs in, in the crags that are of a swastika. There's a, um, a room like a so swastika. The, the, these yeah. symbols that you're talking about, a lot of people presume the Native Americans left there, that, yeah, that these were knows. left over. Right. You know, they're talking about handprints on a rock with this okra painted, this okra paint painted into that, the handprint. That's been washed off. It's washed off. So when that was initially found, these petroglyphs were found, oh gosh, it, it had to have been the uh, 1950s. 50s or 40s mm -hmm. by some kids who were um, just playing around on a, a creek, <coughs> excuse me, running through the castle crags. And they came across this site. At that time, they described everything that was there and they described a red handprint on a rock along with some of the other symbols like a swastika, uh, ankh, um, a like, um, let's see, what else is there? Um, a bull. Tons of tons of them, very rune-like things where you have just little symbols that you have no idea what they mean. They're just carved in and not just on one rock, but on a series of rocks and uh, an iron cross um, swirls like a swirl pattern. Um, there was an ochre handprint that was, from what I understand, very red, I think, when the boys found it. But over the years, it's washed away. So what does that tell you? That tells you that recent. that handprint was fairly recent, potentially back into the 1930s, 1920s. J.C. Brown potentially was in that area because when we looked at who did all that stuff, what was J.C. Brown doing when those were carved? We get him in some action of carving. So 
my my conclusion ultimately is that site was carved by J.C. Brown as the marker, the homage point, the place where he would camp while he went and investigated that cave. <coughs> so this site is a really interesting site <clears throat> because um, it's just it's got a vibe to it. It's got a mystery to it. It's not an it's not a known site on it's not easily accessible. It's not very um, well known, um, but it is really interesting. It's something that should be preserved. Um, some people do think that there was the, actually some of the original theories on it are that um, some rocks fell down from high above that were carvings that Lemurians did and like landed in that area because you have, you know, cliff walls or very steep slopes that are all around it. And you have people who, who say that it is from the native native peoples that lived in the region. You have people who say that, um, but you know, our data just indicates that it was JC Brown that carved these. It also makes sense with the ochre handprint washing off. Um, and you know, there, there was a, um, this area was known for some gold too in that area. So I think that what he did is he, he went to the biggest granite outcropping first to see what he can find. Um, and that would be that area literally would be that area. Okay. So zooming out for a moment, if I was to go to this area, John, and I was to stay there past dark, what might happen? <laughs> well, I'll tell you from experience in that area is that but you are being you did watched. That. Oh, you're being watched. Yes. Mm. Yeah. By what? By who? By yeah, exactly. By the creature. By who? So, so there's likely um, in that area. Okay, the, for one thing, there's a lot of Bigfoot in there. A lot of Bigfoot. The protectors of um, the wood. Protectors of the woods, right? So, one of the things that that we had seen was that when we looked at um, specifically, because we were looking to try to identify the location of the cave, we looked at how do we get from the from the petroglyph site to the cave site. The data would always talk about how, <laughs> I mean, it was just an absurd thing that that there are glyphs in the forest, patterns in the forest, and they will be a marker point to the cave. So you're supposed to look for these glyphs in the forest. And there is a bear, like this is what I think the data is saying, right? What I originally saw it. There's a bear like putting sticks on the ground and rocks on the ground and making like glyphs, patterns. It didn't make any sense to me. So sometimes remote viewing data can be very like metaphorical and viewers can also like, like uh, don't quite understand what they're getting. So I had a friend that that would help me with some of these investigations. And he just out of the blue had said at one point, um, did you know that Bigfoot will make structures in the forest and they're like uh, symbols? And they're, you know, I didn't know this. Right. So he tells me this. And these are the basically the Bigfoot structures I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And I'm thinking back on that data and I'm thinking, wait a second here. The, the data is literally that's not a bear in the data. That's Bigfoot in the data. And Bigfoot is making these symbols in the forest with rocks and sticks. 
And basically, in order to get from the petroglyph site to the cave site, I have to follow these things because Bigfoot is in protection mode of this cave site. I mean, this is, you have to remember, remote viewers are literally, they're blind to what they're viewing. They don't know what they're viewing, right? So they're just telling you this. And this was the data across the board. So I'm stumped because for one thing, I'm not a Bigfoot researcher or I wasn't. And, and it's, it's literally like if I hadn't, if my friend hadn't told me this, this guy I knew hadn't told me this, I would have not known what to do with that data. But it all came together when he said that. And then when I went back, I told you before the rocks with no, with, that were arranged in patterns, all this, the, the, the sticks, the logs that were arranged in patterns. So that's what's supposed to happen in order to find it, but it's protected by the creature. So I think that what we got here is a Bigfoot, mainly Bigfoot. I think, I think what we got here is one of the craziest fairy tales ever. Like, <laughs> it like, truth, like this just sounds like it's absurd. It's it's cra- It's like a fiction book that, but uh, the more I research, the more I'm likely to believe that that the truth is stranger than fiction anyway. So, but here's the thing: like sometimes this happens with remote viewing data, where you're like, we were looking at this one like site where the residents had claimed that UFOs were landing everywhere, right? And and I'm like, okay, so we're gonna look at this site, and then we're gonna go out there because we're doing some filming. And, um, and, you know, we get, we get that they were capturing the stuff on film that was real, like anti-gravity, gray alien, stuff like that. And so they're landing in the area. So when we, when we task on like, how do we cap, like where and how do we capture evidence of this, whatever's going on there, the data comes back and it's like, (laughs) the viewers are talking about a hill that's been rising over the years. It's just been rising. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Data stuff says stuff like the residents are aware of it, but they're denying it, all, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, it's another thing. It's like a back pocket thing where I just go, I don't know what that means because a hill's not rising, right? The, the data says that like there's a UFO in there and there's like stuff that the alien beings are putting in there that's causing, literally causing the hill to rise. It sounds absurd, right? But hey, that's the data. So I go out there to film. I'm like with a film crew. We're driving in a car and there are two guys that, 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 that are showing us the area. One guy who grew up out there goes, starts yelling out the window and pointing. And you say, you see that hill out there? You see that hill? I grew up hill. I grew up here and that hill was not there. It's getting bigger and bigger every year. And his buddy is sitting next to him and he's going, Ah, just be quiet. You're crazy. You're insane. That is the most insane thing I ever said. You're just lying and making it up. And I'm just like, I'm going, no way. No way can this be happening. Because (laughs) so you viewed that and then he corroborated it without knowing in the vehicle while you're driving. Right. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. This stuff happens, you know, when you're engaged in these projects where just high strangeness just rears its head everywhere. Okay, okay. So, so, okay, still though, (laughs) we have this legend that this area is the place of the devil. 
Right. Why is it being called that? And what is going on? Who, what are, is it, is this military watching this to make sure no one goes around there because it's too sensitive? Are we talking about strange beings, paranormal things in the area? What exactly is going on here? It's, it, it's, it's in the realm of strange paranormal beings. It, that's what it is, where there are thought to be negative entities and negative spirits that live in that area. So similar to how certain mountains, when people are mining, get haunted and they're right. being protected by certain beings and things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. There are these, there are stories. Um, there so are the stories of like, uh, like a dead race of beings who died there and now haunt the area. And they'll curse you if you stay there too long. You stay the night specifically. Um, and this, this ties into the J.C. Brown story as well. Um, uh, oh, originally so was hanging out there too much and they were like, Hey, and then his yeah. whole family starts getting right off. Right. Right. This is cursed stuff. Yeah, exactly. So just a lot of malicious spirits apparently are in now, that forest. Is it this, is it, is it the spirit? Are these spirits related to the race that was living in these tunnels that, that created all of the, those, those rooms or is That's it what a, some people think? Yeah. Mm. That's what some people think. So, so I don't know. I mean, as far as I, like, we don't go in remote view what malicious spirits are around because yeah, no, malicious spirits like to hang out with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, you can see me. I'm going to hang out with you now. That's no good. All right. Yeah. So uh, other questions here, because uh, this is uh, highly interesting. The, the king and queen here now. I, I'm assuming you'd do what I would do, um, you know, having a, a host of, of remote viewers at your beckon. Uh, did you task them on specifically who this king and queen were and their background and what what did that look like? So when we looked at all that stuff, you know, we looked at a number of things. We looked at, you know, why were they there? You know, um, for one thing, who they were, um, where they came from. And what we got for th this specific location was that they were trying to get away from a major cataclysm that was happening. Um, when you get to um, what J.C. Brown found in the th what he called the throne room with the king and queen, he there was a big sun on the wall. So what we have in our data is that they were escaping some type of cataclysm that the sun had created, potentially <clears throat> some type of sheath or something coming off the sun and, and, and causing havoc on earth, the sun getting intense, something going on with the sun. And so I think the sun basically in that room was a symbol of what was going on because one of the other things that you find and was actually, um, North of there in uh, there's a there's a region up there called the Lava Beds National Monument, where there are a lot of caves in the area. I think it's called Lava Beds. I'm not 100 percent sure. It's like north of Wairika, northeast. In that area, a lot of the native people from long ago, the Native American people went in there to um, um, lived in there, lived in those caves. And in some of the caves. The Park Service actually shut down one of the one of the caves from from access. They sent somebody in to um, identify what was happening on the walls in there because there were a lot of petroglyphs on the walls. And 
from what I understand, they they actually buried that report and made it very difficult to get through the Freedom of Information Act because what was in it was a lot of symbols relating to the sun and the sun doing some type of damage to the earth. And that's why those people were living in the caves back then, right? So they'd be protected from it. So are we talking about some type of flare or solar flare that that ended up screwing around with everything on the planet? Yeah. Intensifying heat or <clears throat> causing other catastrophes right. on the planet. Right, exactly. And we're talking like maybe 12,000-ish years ago, right? Oh, yeah, look at that. We got these glyphs in there. This is from the area. Yeah, it's from the area. So, so, so a lot of the data that we got really talks about they were escaping from a major, major earthwide cataclysm at that point in time and trying to trying to keep going with their culture and survive. Um, where they came from was literally like in that area, in that area. It didn't we didn't have anything like coming across the sea or trying to escape from an island or sinking continent or anything like that we literally had them from that general area which does make sense because hey they were giants and you do have uh old like from lucy thompson right the, the, we'll get into that soon yeah we'll get into that in a bit but we do have some old references to giants coming from um the people who used to live in that area very old stuff so yeah yeah. Wow. And this this is what's so interesting about this is there's already so much with just the Lemurian lore in this area. And now we've got an entirely separate, massive civilization. It's it's like a distant memory of, of something right. long ago. Exactly. And here you have like J.C. Brown thought that this, these were the Lemurians, right? They came from that, that continent that sunk. That's what he thought because that's the only thing he could really reference. Now, it's got to be the Lemurians, right? This is all truth. You know, what, they're, what, what has been written about that he's been reading, you know? But you find that there are strings coming from these different areas as well. What are the Lemurians? What is it that people are calling the Lemurians? Is that even, yeah, and is that even accurate? I mean, it, you know, with all the research that we've done, even the first episode where we started talking about this, I was like, wow, people are very confused over whether or not to call these the children of Mu, the Lemurians, Atlanteans, right. whatever. And at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't really matter. We can call them whatever we want. Right. But they're, we're, we're talking about ancient civilizations that we're trying to explore post-mortem. Right. Right. Well, back then, back then, and this is a theme, a lot of cultures went underground. So you're going to have stories now of some myth of beings living underground because they we, had to go underground. Well, and we have evidence of this across the globe with, right. with different places that have even been, um, you know, just like they've been explored on uh, ancient apocalypse and um, right. What was it, Non Madal, and and some of these other places that you know we've got cave systems that people were living in for an, a period of time. Where, oh yeah, I mean, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Right. So, so all this stuff, I think, I think really, where this all leads ultimately is that what people want to know, they really are attached to the idea of the Lemurians being a 
a high vibrational race, right? As opposed to maybe like the giants who might not have been that whatever high vibrational. And so I think a lot of people really connect to the idea and story of the Lemurians because it's such an uplifting, positive thing when you have so much negative and darkness within a lot of the other stories, you know? Now, but who were they? Who were they? Who were they? And and then, you know, it just comes back to this. What was Telos? What actually was Telos? I mean, J.C. Brown thinks he's he's on an adventure to find Telos as he's going down into this right. cave, right? And you have, um, you know, you have a, a occult writers like like church ward who we did in our, our first episode. If you guys haven't watched that, go check it out. They're all talking about this and Telos, the, the name Telos actually goes back a really long way. I mean, we're the first note, the first use of Telos that, that I can find anyway, is um, it's a term meaning end purpose or goal. And it was used by Aristotle. Hmm. I'm not sure if you knew this, John, but Aristotle um, he, he was, you know, obviously he was a philosopher. He went as far as to say that telos can encompass all forms of human activity. One can say, for instance, that the telos of warfare is victory or the telos of business is the creation of wealth. Within this conceptualization, there are telos that are subordinate to other telos as all activities have their own respective goals. Hmm. For Aristotle, these subordinate telos can become the means to achieve more fundamental telos. Through this concept, for instance, the philosopher underscored the importance of politics and that all other fields are subservient to it which shows the limitation of Aristotle here in his words. Right. <laughs> ah, man. Anyway, he explained that the telos of blacksmith is the production of a sword, while that of the swordsman, which uses the weapon as a tool, is to kill or incapacitate an enemy. On the other hand, the telos of these occupations are merely part of the purpose of a ruler who must oversee the direction and well-being of a state. And so I think it's interesting also that Telos is being used as this almost final destination for these. Right. Lemurians. What's the final destination of humans? Right. Telos. To ascend? Right. Well, yes. Right. There's but where you get into the 5D thing, right? Yeah. And then and then it sort of starts going back into some of this lore that we're going to get into about what who the Lemurians were, what Telos could have been to them. It's almost like this, you know hopefully higher plane that they were that they were entering right here right yeah yeah and then so you know that that, that jc brown is into this story and this yeah. this this librarian thing is really taken over the minds of everyone and it's like they forgot about everyone else going underground right and then all the finds of giants across the plains of america back then too it's like but hey everybody did that um yeah right. it's just the, the the Lemurian thing, you know, okay, so obviously the idea of there being a continent called Lemuria didn't actually happen necessarily. There could have been floating continent in the, in the Pacific Ocean. We do know that there was a big cataclysm back then. We do know that the, the, the oceans were much lower and islands and whatnot were, were sticking up. People live on islands. People live next to the ocean. So, hey, it could be. 
definitely, absolutely could be that people did come from those locations if they were close enough to take refuge on on the larger land masses, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I find it interesting, like, I find it interesting that if you look in the Atlantic, you have a strange island popping up out of nowhere, the Azores. Yeah. Right? Uh, Strange. It's like in the middle of nowhere, something peaks up above, right? And then in the Pacific, you have Hawaii. So bizarre, right? It's in the middle of nowhere. And somehow this island manages to pop up above the entire Pacific Ocean, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and out, you know, out in the Indian Ocean, there's there's all all kinds of islands out there, right? You know, it is possible that these islands are we're being lied to potentially, and these islands are attached to some much larger continent that is now below sea level, and we're not encouraged to go out there and explore any of this. It's possible, right? But what could be a better explanation, potentially, is that Pangea or this type of thing did exist, and these continents moved away from one another, and the and at that time when everything was together, Somehow this gigantic Atlantic Atlantis civilization was was a thing. And um, perhaps there were other continents at the time. I mean, we're not even sure. But I mean, all of these continents fit together like a glove. So really, it's hard to believe that, you know. They weren't together at one point. Right, right. Yeah, there could have been something there. I mean, there was something there. I mean, it's easily evidenced by a lot of the stuff that we find um, buried under the water. Stuff's being found. So to me, it's old news. Yeah. You know, because it is very old news. In fact, you know, this news started in the uh, mid 1800s and (laughs) we're still making YouTube videos about it today. You know, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about humankind. You know, right. It's such an interesting concept that there's just loads of. And, you know, I've talked to sea captains out in Hawaii and stuff that are convinced that Hawaii is a left the leftover island from from Lemuria. He called it Lemuria. But I was after I researched, I was like, you're confusing Lemuria with Mu because Mu was the Pacific and Lemuria was in the Indian Ocean. Right. But then it's just a very confused thing right now. And who knows, maybe we're all confusing and it was all Atlantis, you know, you know, okay. So back to JC Brown really quick. Sure. Because, because we left one big part out it with all the knowledge that he had and pointing to a location that could potentially um, lift the veil on Mu or Lemuria potentially he left to go get that evidence right in in the texas at the texas bank or meet with somebody that was bringing that evidence to him but then so he disappeared what, yeah what happened to jc brown the question like what happened to him so when we remote viewed this what we saw was a, a very old and tired man who was literally he was at the end of his rope the end of his life he he knew it was coming for him he knew that death was coming. He expected that he was going to be killed. And he was so tired, so sick of it, because he'd had a life of tribulation after finding this thing. I mean, even yeah. his family members, 
uh, were trying to exploit, right, the whole situation, right? To everybody wants to be wealthy, everybody wants to be rich, and and so he was tired of it, and he knew they were coming for him, and he could. It was, it was like he could hear them coming, like like the the steps of them coming. He was in a hotel room, and this was in the certain period of time when he's going to get that evidence. He probably had the evidence of that at that point. And, and they came in the hotel room, they greeted him. He knew what they were there for and they broke his neck. They killed him. Then they took him out to an area and just buried him like within rocks and dirt, whatever. It didn't really matter. He was never going to be found. And then what happened was they went to the site and they covered it up even more the site where he found the cave and they covered it up even more. Um, and these people were part of some type of secret society. Okay, they were so going to ask who is they? Yeah, they were, they were part of some type of secret society that, that did not want past revelations coming forward that had to do with deeper races, other races that lived previous to a cataclysm. Whether they were Lemurians, giants, whatever, they didn't want that stuff known. So that was that was what happened. That is why he disappeared and never came back. He was murdered for what he found and wanting to release it to the public. It was like it was okay if he, I mean, I don't know what he'd do with all the artifacts if he pulled them out. Like, how do you, he probably figured out like he can't really fence the artifacts because they're so old. Right. They're so old. Like, like, how are you going to explain that to people? The narrative just doesn't exist doesn't. for that stuff. Right. It doesn't sell it on it. the black market. Right. What? So why, why did the secret society want to, or whoever it was, want to hide all of this? Was it military or was it the secret society? No, was it was it, not military. It wasn't military. So this was not governmental. This was no, more. it was not governmental. This was more a cult or. It was more cult oriented. Yeah, absolutely more cult oriented. Um, so so he was he was not I mean, he knew it was coming because it, I think it, it had to do with some of the other people that he was working with at a certain point in order to recover some of this stuff. And he pulled away from them. He pulled back from it. And eventually he knew that it was going to catch up to him and that they were going to kill him. But the stuff, so we had remote viewed, like what happened after the stuff? How like what's the state of the village currently? Well, it's not pillaged. Like what we saw was that the stuff's still there. So they basically, just they, yeah, just... they just wanted to seal it up. It's like it's like the stories of the Smithsonian collecting the giant bones and dumping them in the middle of the ocean, right? They don't care. So yeah, yeah. So and that's why I was wondering if it was more like a group like the Smithsonian, or it was more like a group like, you know. These the, I, I'm sure that there were connections into the the underbellies, under underbellies of these famous institutions like that. Yes, most definitely. But there was this decidedly like um, cultish spiritual bent to to uh, the society, secret society. It it could have been. I don't. You know. I don't even want. I don't even want to say. I don't even want to mention words as far as like what secret society. I um, Yeah, we're not getting into that here. Yeah. Hope you guys like this episode. <laughs> that was a crazy story. And um, I'm really glad we got to tell it from in its entirety. We've mentioned it uh, on a few different occasions um, in, in the in the show. 
And this is the first time we've got to really go through all of the data on it. Um, in the next episode, we're actually going to be going a even deeper, if you can believe that, into the, Lemuri the Lemurian rabbit hole, where we're going to be talking about a dweller on two planets, the occult history, uh, and Edgar Cayce. So all of the legend of Lemuria, Atlantis, Mu, and all of that we'll be getting into in the next episode. Uh, and it is a, it is a roller coaster, I'll tell you. And it's going to get, it's just going to get crazier. <laughs> so John, uh, thanks so much for being with us, yeah. sharing all your knowledge and experience. And I uh, hope everybody at home, you guys thought this was as out of this world as we did. Mm -hmm.